You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, we've been in this mini-series, an eight-week uh, collection of talks, really, that are talking about the fact that our God is the God of all things, that he is the creator, the maker, the architect of everything. Andrew, in fact, I think he set up this series so well. So if you are new, uh, the things that he was attesting to and giving testimony of, of the fact that God is the maker and creator and how he sees him in the, in the natural world, uh, really all of that sets up today. This is what we believe. We believe that he is the, the God of all things, that he has created the simple and significant things in our world and that these things point to the sacred. They point to the divine. They reveal to us God's existence. We've talked about the earth and how the earth shows us God's goodness, God's created fingerprint, uh, the, the fact that we have life and breath and everything. We've talked about the galaxies and the stars. So we, we started kind of small and, and, and all of a sudden we experienced expanded outward uh, to look to the known universe. And the last week, Pastor Jorley talked about motherhood and how motherhood and mothers, the, create, the fact that God has given us mothers, uh, that how these things point to God and his goodness and our need for him. And this week, uh, we get to talk of the God who made the seas, the God who made the seas, uh, God of all things, seas and our oceans and our lakes and our bodies of water. And it might surprise you to hear that we're talking about that today. It might surprise you that we would take eight weeks and we would select a single thing. But we believe that each one of these things actually points to us something about who God is, about what he has done, and about who we are. How we're called to respond to him. I'm a big fan of our oceans I'm an environmentalist at heart. Uh, I was a 90s kid, and if you grew up in the 90s, every, every kid who grew up in the 90s wanted to be a marine biologist. It was just like a thing. And I was, I was on Instagram the other day, and I saw this meme. It was like, why does every 90s kid want to be a marine biologist? And it was just picture after picture of all of this uh, nautical-themed uh, marine you know, life-type movies and stories and books and all these kind of things. Think like free willy, okay, right? We were all very inspired by that at one point. And, uh, and you know, growing up, I had lots of fish tanks in my room. I had uh, fire belly toads. Uh, I had a, a ballast shark that I bought was like this big, and by the end, it took up the entire 10-gallon tank. Uh, and I had to return it to Big Al's Fish Aquarium for a $25 credit. It's a very sad day. <laughs> it's a very sad day. Uh, even recently, up until recently, I had to make a sacrifice. I had a 40-gallon African cichlid fish tank, uh, you know, full of just beautifully colored fish. I really should have put up a picture of them because uh, they're just incredible. But that has now been moved into storage so that my daughter can have a coloring station. Uh, so, <laughs> parenthood, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, my love for oceans, though, uh, they extend beyond the life within it. There's something about the ocean that we as people find solace in. We love to sit and watch, and we love to dip our feet in it. We love to soak in it in the warm months and cool off. 
Uh, he, many of us are longing or dreaming or thinking about either the vacation we just had to Hawaii or Mexico or the one we're going to have. It feels like everyone is going right now after this, po this kind of post-pandemic world, get on a flight as soon as possible and get somewhere warm, especially with the May we're having. You know, we see Disney movies like Moana speaking about our longing to explore it. I've become very, uh, you know, I've watched Moana more times than I can count in the last few months. And, you know, it's a nice reprieve from Frozen. And so, uh, but, you know, she, we see even within that character this longing, this desire to explore, to go beyond, to, to see what is in our world and to sail the oceans, to master it. And there's many of us who desire to save it. There are some whose whole careers and lives have been set apart to try and save, restore, and make people aware and educated about our oceans. I think of uh, David Attenborough. Uh, and if any of you remember BBC's Planet Earth or Blue Planet, I remember at my, uh, my graduation at Port Moody Secondary, we had like these raffle tickets, and I put all 50, all 50 in the DVD set. All right of uh, of David Attenborough's Planet Earth, and I remember watching that time and time again in 720p. It was incredible, right? Oh <laughs> uh, man, you know we we have such an incredible planet, such an incredible planet, and our oceans are are some of the most least explored places of it. We we're so interested by the stars and we spent time talking about the stars and yet they're incredible, incredible beauties and mysteries and interesting things just below the oceans. And as I look at these things and I look at beautiful coral reefs and I see the incredible creations in the open waters, I look at nautical life, marine life, the question that comes to me is this, are our oceans just simply forces of nature or do they point to the existence of God, the one who made it all? Are they simply just natural things? Are we just the lucky benefactors of uh, a lottery that we didn't buy a ticket for? Uh, or, or, it's, or is these, these incredible created things all pointing to a God who created them and us? This is the question we're asking throughout this series. I believe it's an important question. And so, to find those answers, we as believers, we go to this book. It's the Bible. We believe it's God's word. We believe it was inspired by him, written by him, and, and speaks to him. And throughout this series, we're going to be going through Psalm 104. And Psalm 104 is a beautiful psalm that describes who God is and, and the fact that he is creator. Uh, and so, if you're willing, if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read Psalm 104 together? And there's some specific things I want to highlight for us. Psalm 104, we're going to start in, in verse 1. Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You've placed the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled, and at the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas 
so that they would never again cover the earth. You make the springs pour water into the ravines so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You said rain to the mountains from your heavenly home. You fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. I'm going to jump to verse 24. O oh Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ships sailing along in the Leviathan, which you have made to play in the sea. Verse 33, I sing to the Lord as long as I will live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. God, this is your word. We thank you for this psalm, which is a grounding place for us throughout this series. And you and the author that wrote this, and you, Spirit of God, as you inspired this, you're trying to help us to see, give us new eyes to see the created things that you've made and how they point to you. I pray you would help us with that today in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Look what the psalmist says. He says, you've closed the, clothed the earth in waters. You've set a firm boundary for the seas. O oh Lord, what a variety of the things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The oceans are teeming with life. See, the author of this psalm is answering the question that you might be asking yourself. Who made all this? Who made the incredible oceans and the seas. The Bible seeks to bring clarity where we lack it. And simply put, the authors believe that these oceans, these seas, they point to the creator. So why did God create these things called the seas? Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us this, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. What Paul is saying and what Romans is alluding to is maybe an awkward reality for those of us who reject God as creator. He says, simply just look at the created world. And as you look, as you inquire, as you look deeper, uh, and, and scientists will attest to this. Many of them in their exploration of the facts, the exploration of, of the known universe. Uh, I, th I think of, I quoted this last week, but the, the man who, who coined the term Big Bang, he said that as the years have gone by, his atheism was greatly shaken. Because he realized that there must be a divine being who is monkeyed with the physics and the biology and the natural laws for all of this to be. And Paul is telling us the same. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God has made, they can see his invisible qualities. Yes, we worship an invisible God who became visible in Jesus, but now is invisible once again. But it was through the created things that we can see his divine qualities. We can see his existence. He's created these things to prove his existence so we can clearly see his invisible qualities and to reveal his power and divinity. So I have a couple points for us today regarding our seas and what they, what they tell us. And, and here's my hope. I'm hoping you begin to see the inlet a little bit differently. 
I hope you begin to see it a little bit differently. I was talking to someone from our congregation who said ever since this series has started, he's just he's noticing things in the world. He's beginning to see things differently. Before it was like, that's a tree, <laughs> right? And now he's like, wow, that's a tree, right? Like, And I pray it's the same thing for us as we look at our seas and oceans. The next time we watch incredible documentaries showing what happens within them, that we would begin to see them differently. We'd begin to see God. So here's the first point I want to make for us today. Our, sea, our seas reveal God's existence. Our seas reveal God's existence each week when appropriate and when possible. I want to show us how this thing can give us confidence that there is a God and a creator and a maker. As you look at our planet, and we can put up a picture of it right here, uh, yeah, it's it's incredibly covered by oceans and water. In fact, 75% of our planet is covered in water. The earth is unique among the rocky planets in our solar system in that it is the only planet known to have oceans of liquid water on its surface. Liquid water is necessary for life as we know it. And it continues to exist on the surface of this planet. The reason it does not just simply evaporate and burn up or turn into ice is because we live in this perfect location in our universe and in our galaxy where we sit in, the, in just this incredibly privileged spot where life can happen. It's called the habitable zone. Far enough from the sun that we do not lose water, but not so far that all the water would freeze. And it's not just unusual where our planet resides, but it's unusual the amount of water that covers it. In fact, there are 326 million cubics, cubic miles of water. As I said, covering 75% of our planet. This is incredibly unusual. That's why they call it the blue planet. And as you know, uh, scientists and scholars and those who, who dig into these things... Uh, as they begin to try and come up with theories as to why there is so much water. It's, it's actually the origins of our, the water, Earth's waters are unknown. They have some theories, but most of them have been disproven and others they can't prove. I believe that, that this actually points to the fact that we have a creator, a maker, that God is the creator of these things. There's many theories, but none of them, none of them have come to pass. Something that is also a nod to fine-tuning on our planet is our ocean's currents. Did you know there's incredible pathways and highways and byways in the, in the ocean that, that continually circulate waters all over this planet? It, it's incredible. And without it, we would not have life. Without it, we would not have life. Life on earth depends on this continuous movement of ocean water to mix nutrients, both horizontally and vertically. Otherwise, our ocean life, and by extension, life everywhere else on earth, would not survive. The vast majority of this planet's breathable oxygen, take a deep breath with me. <laughs> the source of that, the source of that is actually generated the, the majority of it is generated by marine algae, which has, is actually the fuel for our bodies. Without this, we wouldn't be able to breathe. This is a finely tuned feature of our planet, and without it, we wouldn't have life. And in my mind, once again, this is evidence 
for a creator. But here's the second thing we know about our seas. Our seas were actually a place of judgment and inspiration. They're a place of judgment and inspiration. Now we're going to look at how those in the ancient world, those within the scriptures viewed our seas. And, and there was a number of different qualities. To them, they had kind of had a conflicted perspective when it came to our seas. It was both a place that was fearful, full of judgment, and a place that they found incredible inspiration in describing who their God is. The seas were a place of judgment, but also illustrations of God's divine and invisible qualities. In the, in the Bible, humanity does have a complicated relationship. Many ancient uh, many in the ancient world, including the Bible, saw this as a place of chaos and destruction filled with monsters and threats. And yet they also did see God in it. I think of, uh, you know, we, I think we can understand that complicated relationship with the seas ourselves. Uh, it, it is a, a place of judgment with just raging seas. And we can think of storms and great stories of storms and people surviving storms and the things and the terrors that they faced at sea. We can even think of uh, locally when, when the, think about the White Rock Pier as it was destroyed by a massive storm at sea, or, or the Vancouver seawall uh, that, that's only just reopened after the repairs from the damage of a great storm. And yet all of us can think of also times where we have found inspiration, right? It's been a place of inspiration for us. We're at places where we feel like we've heard from God or experienced God or found peace, relaxation, calmness, solace. If you've ever gone sailing, you understand this conflict within you. You understand, uh, you know, if, if you've gone on a sailboat, there can be moments of just such euphoria and beauty and calm and peace, and suddenly the winds begin to pick up, and all of a sudden terror and fear comes over you, and the waves begin to move. There's a complicated relationship with the sea for us and also for the people of God. This is how Israel felt about the seas. It was in their narrative, but it's also a narrative that we find in almost every culture in the world, that there was a massive flood, a massive flood that brought about judgment to a region of the planet where, where those who lived there sought evil and were doing wicked and horrible and atrocious things. And, and the seas rose, and, and the scriptures tell us it came as a judgment, we also think of stories uh, where God's people were freed from slavery and they come to the edge of the Red Sea and it parts for them. But moments later, it, it actually, it, it, it storms away their enemies and their captors who were chasing after them. We think of how God used a storm at sea <laughs> to correct Jonah for rejecting his will and his plan. Not to mention the countless stories that people in Israel would have heard of those who were lost at sea or harmed at sea or hurt at sea. In their view, the seas were a place of uncontrolled chaos and danger and judgment. And we can tell stories of great dangers at sea. We put them in cinemas and on big screens. But once again, I can also think of times in my life as I was snorkeling on Hawaii's North Shore, 
right? Uh, with turtles and fish or in Hanuma Bay or jumping into the waves in Tofino on Chesterman Beach. The authors of scripture speak to the seas as a place of judgment, but also metaphors and examples to teach us about who we believe God to be. The psalmists, the psalmists and the prophets often did this. Isaiah reminded us that our God is so big that he can fit all of the seas in the palm of his hands. Such an illustration of God's grandness, his bigness, his, his divinity. The psalmists tell us that although the oceans roar and foam and can swallow the mountains, that our God is a place of refuge and strength. In the Psalms, we're told that God has made a boundary line for the sea to not cross. And in Job 38, he echoes this in a conversation with God. He's reminded that God controls the waves and where they land. In Psalm 93, verse 4, he says, Although our waves might be the mightiest force on our planet, our God is mightier. It says the Lord on high is mightier than the waves. So although the seas seem to, to be these radical, uncontrolled forces of fear and dangerous places, God's control, his power, his sovereignty over the seas gave Israel great confidence in their, confidence in their times of need. Because if God can control that, he could certainly control their lives. If God can control what seems uncontrollable, these natural forces of nature, then certainly... He can take care of them. If God can fit the waters of the oceans in the palm of his hand, certainly he can hold you in your moments of need. I think these realities, friends, church, should bring us comfort in confidence in these strange and uncertain times. We, like Israel, should find solace and peace and confidence that our God, although we live in very uncertain, very strange times where our minds begin to linger and, and we begin to dive into conspiracies and thoughts about what's taking place in the world and we're trying to figure it out. And the seas are a reminder that God, God is in control. God is with us. God can be a place in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a storm, the storm of life where we can take refuge. He is like a warm seaside cabin that we can run to after being caught up in, in the midst of a, a, a raging storm. God wants to be that for you. God wants to be that place for you. And the scriptures remind us that he is, that he is in light of the seas. Our God is the one who can say, stop to the oceans, you shall come no further, the psalmist tells us. Our God is the one who is mightier than the waves that maybe repeatedly, day after day, compounding against us. The disciples learned of the mightiness of God one day while on the seas. They were on a, a lake. It was lake, a, you know, the Gentiles called it a lake, but the Jews called it a sea. It was called the Sea of Galilee. It's a story that, if, you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, it's, we've drawn so much inspiration we preach on it at least once a year. <laughs> 
But it's, it's the story of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, Rembrandt, uh, a famous artist, he painted this picture that captured that day on the seas. In fact, this painting is still missing. If you found it, uh, there's a $10 million reward. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's true. It's been, gone, it's been missing for 32 years. Uh, just a few days before I was born, it was stolen out of a museum in Boston. But that's not the point. <laughs> Look at this incredible piece of art that just captures the terror. If we could zoom in, I probably should have. Uh, uh, the looks on, on some of the disciples' faces as they face the natural forces. And there's something really interesting that's taking place. We just see Jesus having a nap <laughs> in the back of the boat. <laughs> He's sleeping on a pillow, right? I always say, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're freaking out and God is just chilling out? <laughs> you ever feel like you're like, God, where are you? Help us. And it feels like he's just having a nap on his heavenly pillow, you know? <laughs> this is what they encountered and experienced on that day on the Sea of Galilee. This story, this narrative is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. It's an incredible story. And in this story, we, we see that the disciples, Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. There's a whole sermon on that. I preached in the fall. You can listen to it. But he said, let's cross to the other side. So at Jesus' word, they get in a boat. As they hop in that boat, it tells us that the winds began to blow and the waves began to billow. So the water was coming into the boat. They began to freak out. They were scared. They were terrified for their lives. He ever been in a a storm like that, both literal or, meta or metaphorical in your life, where you're just crying out to God, God, help us. <laughs> God, save us. God, we need you. I need you. I need you to come through. I need you to calm these seas that I'm experiencing. A couple months ago, I was in Mexico, and we were driving through the night to get to this city called La Ventosa. La Ventosa means the wind. And uh, it lived up to its name. As we're driving down this highway, I'd never experienced or felt winds like that before. So much so that as we were driving, we could see semi-trucks that had been blown over by the wind in the ditches. We saw vehicles which had been tumbled because the winds were so strong. And as I'm sitting in this eight-passenger van with Pastor Tomas at the wheel... <laughs> I was sitting there, I, I, and I, I like, you know, in Mexico, you don't really wear your seatbelt that often. I put on my seatbelt, all right? I was holding on to the edges of my seat. I was crying out to God, literally praying, Lord, help us. We could feel the vehicle as we were driving, lifting. I'm not exaggerating. We came to multiple intersections where semi-trucks had, had parked close to one another in order to divert the wind and protect each other. It felt apocalyptic. It felt like, oh my goodness, I think we're going to be in a wreck. It was a very scary moment. Now here's the comedic part of this story. During this entire time, while me and Diane and Ivana are praying, Lord, help us. <laughs> Save us from these winds. Alyssa Magacy is asleep on her pillow in the back seat, <laughs> just resting peacefully 
you know? <laughs> and I was, I couldn't believe it. Alyssa, wake up. <laughs> wake up. We're in the middle of a storm. We need your prayers. She just kept sleeping. And I thought to myself, this is exactly how the disciples must have felt. <laughs> right? What are you doing? <laughs> You're having a nap on a pillow, Jesus, in the middle of a storm. <laughs> Wake up! Right? I don't know if they're allowed to slap God. But they, they you know, like, <laughs> just a crazy story. <laughs> but they, we, we made it. <laughs> and they made it. And they learned a story. They learned something about God that day. Jesus awakes from his nap. He gets up. And, and the scriptures don't even say like he took some time. You know, sometimes when you wake up from a nap, it takes you like, like 20 minutes to kind of come to. This, is, this, is where, this was Jesus' state of mind. He was in the middle of deep ram, you know, just, just incredible sleep, right? And he wakes up, and in his groggy state, he looks out to the waters, and he says, peace be still. Shalom. Be still. Silence. Be still. It says he rebuked the wind and the waves. Silence. Be still. And here's what the scriptures tell us, whether you believe it or not. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. There was a great calm. See, the disciples were scared before this moment. But here's an interesting thing we see in verse 41. They were terrified afterwards. Since the disciples were absolutely terrified. Even though the sea was calm, even though the winds had stopped, they had experienced something. They were in the presence of one who was otherworldly who is not of this world, they were afraid to be in his presence. They experienced both fear and bewilderment. Fear. The storm was raging, but it stopped. It stopped, and they realized who Jesus really was. And because they knew who he really was, they were filled with great fear. The sea was frightening, but the one who could control the sea was terrifying. The enemy induces fear, but not as much as the fear is the one who can destroy the enemy. Their fear was now in light of who Jesus was. The fear of God always works like that. There's a couple of examples that we find ourselves that Aslan is almost far more scarier than the White Witch in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's something about Dumbledore and Harry Potter who is more alarming than Voldemort. There's something about when you watch the final scene, the final scene of Jurassic Park, the first one, that we're more afraid of the T-Rex who actually comes to the rescue of the children than we are of the Velociraptors which actually wanted to eat them. There's something in, in The Lion King where when M Mufasa shows up to save the day that he is far more frightening than the hyenas who want, to, who want, who want to, to take out the Lion King, Simba. They're scared in a good way because they know that he is on their side. It's not a cowering terror, but an appreciative, a reverent awe that is only suitable in response to a king. 
that is only suitable in response to God. The second experience that they have on the days on that sea was bewilderment and shock. The disciples respond. They say, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Andrew Wilson describes the scene this way. This is what he says in his book. The disciples had left that evening on an eight-mile crossing with a sleep rabbi. But they found themselves a few hours later with the creator of the world, the God of Exodus, the king of the seas. The disciples' relationship with the sea began to change after that moment. Just a few chapters later, they find themselves again in nautical trouble. But this time they see Jesus showing his supremacy, showing his sovereignty, showing his divinity as he walks out before them on the waters, it tells us, on the seas. He's showing that I am above in control, the forces of nature, the chaos, the judgment. I'm above all of that, in control of it. And he says to them, don't be afraid any longer. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Take courage. I am here. This story on the Sea of Galilee reminds us today that Jesus is the king of the seas, that Jesus is in control of the seas. This story reveals Jesus' divinity. You see, we, we worship the, the invisible God who created everything, but in Jesus Christ, we saw him. We experienced him. We wrote about him. He revealed himself to us. For those of you who might call yourselves agnostic, I believe it's the actually the appearance of Jesus in the Gospels that gives us confidence that God can be known. God can be discovered. God can be, he, we, can, we can know him. He revealed himself in Jesus. He calmed the seas that day and he did way more than that, if you're inquiring. For the atheist who maybe is just not sure they believe in all of this, we have to come to terms with this person, Jesus Christ, who actually claimed to be there in the beginning. John chapter 1 tells us in the beginning was God and God was with the word and everything was created and made through him. Who is him? Jesus in Colossians, it tells us the same, that he is the one who holds all things together and that all things were created by him and, and through him. This story and stories like it reveal Jesus' divinity to us. They can give us confidence that there is a God and that he certainly cares for us. The disciples that day, I want to read it one more time, they left that evening on an eight-mile crossing with a sleepy rabbi, but they found themselves a few hours later with the creator of the world, the God of Exodus who split the seas, the king of the seas. And here's our final point, and I'll invite up the ushers as we come to the table, and this point perfectly leads to the table. I'll also invite up the band. The seas... The seas demonstrate the depth of God's forgiveness for us. The seas' depths demonstrate our forgiveness. Like the actual depth of the sea is symbolic. It points to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. 
In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, it says this. Once again, you, God, will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet. You will throw them into the depths of the sea. And you see, the authors of scriptures and the Jewish people, they didn't believe this just to be simply metaphorical, but a reality that was true for them. That God would take their wrong, that God would take their error, that God would take the things and the mistakes that they had made. And he wouldn't just forgive them. He would take them and he would throw them into the depths of the sea where no one will find them, where no one will see them, where not only he can see them, not only he can, not, not even he can see them. And they created a ceremony called Teshalik. And it was this ritual that was performed before a body of water and they would take a stone that represented their sin and they would throw it into the body of water where no one would find it. Some of you need to do that today. Maybe you had to head down to Rocky Point Pier with some rocks and throw them into the sea where you and no one's ever going to find them. The promise of Micah is a promise for us that God will trample our sins and he will take them and throw them into the depths of the sea where, he, where no one can see them, where no one can find them. This is what we believe. This is what we remember when we come to the table. We remember that Jesus has forgiven us. And like a stone thrown off the end of the pier, it won't be found by anyone, not even God himself. And you are welcome to this table to receive mercy and to find grace in your time of need. Corey Ten Boom said this, God buries our sins in the depth of the seas and then puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. I love that quote. That's what God is inviting us to do. Some of you, okay, I'm going to get over it. I'm going to put that in the past. I'm going to let go. And then you go fishing. Bring it on in. I thought, you know what, I'm not over that one yet. We put it in our pocket. God buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then he puts up a sign that says no fishing. It is forgiven. It is forgotten. It is covered for you and for me. And so as we come to the table, we remember the act which forgave us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And we remember this through the juice. The juice represents his blood, which cleanses us. The bread, the wafer, represents his body, which was broken for us. And that is for you, and it is for me, and it is for all who believe. And it is even for those of you who want to believe today. You are welcome to the table. You can come to receive this kind of mercy and grace. And so let's pray, and then we'll come to the table. God, thank you for the seas. Thank you for what they teach us. Who would have knew there was so much meaning and purpose and imagery within these things called the seas? But they teach us today, Lord. They teach us today many things about who you are, many things we can take great, great comfort in, but they also remind us of our forgiveness. And so, Spirit of God, you are welcome here. I pray that this moment as we come to the table would be more than a religious act, 
but actually a moment where we recognize and believe Micah 7.19 for ourselves that you will take our sins and you throw them in the depths of the sea because of what you did on the cross for us. Help us to believe that the gospel, this good news, is for us today. We love you. We're grateful. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.